Sometimes preachers have to preach on things that are dangerous and controversial. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah. Look, one option when uh, there's a topic that comes up that's dangerous and, and controversial is just to say what everyone else is saying. True? You can just do that. You can just go, whatever they're saying, we'll just say the same thing. Um, but we need to be wary of that, right? I mean, if, if you look at the church, the church has actually been caught out a whole bunch of times just saying what everyone else is saying. And the Bible often doesn't say what everyone else is saying. It often says something very contrary to what other people are saying. You see, that the teachings that reflect the way that God operates are often out of step with what everyone else is actually saying and, and out of step with the way that we often operate. And this is like one of the objectives of God's story, right? Is to pull people into his story. It's not about our story and making him fit us. It's about us fitting into his story and what he's actually doing. And sometimes culture gives us a whole bunch of baggage um, that we bring to uh, the text of Scripture. So today we're actually going to be looking in a moment at a, uh, a section out of Ephesians 5. We're going to hopefully finish uh, Ephesians by uh, Easter. That's the plan at this point in time and people laugh. That's usually how it works at the project. Uh, I was talking to someone from another church and they said, yeah, we preach through books of the Bible. And I said, yeah, so do we. And he goes, yeah, we're hoping to do it Ephesians, I think in about two months or three months. I'm just going, yeah, well, it's... Some people can't remember before Ephesians at the project. So sometimes when you come to a text, what you actually need to do is you need to spend a whole bunch of time talking about what it's not talking about before you talk about what it's about. So is everyone with me? Because that cultural baggage kind of kicks in and makes it difficult to kind of handle things. Uh, so what we're actually talking about today at uh, church and the passage we're up to in Ephesians is about wives submitting to their husbands. At which point all the women get up and walk out. But I want to stop for a minute before we actually kick into it and just throw a few thoughts out, a few Sondergirl thoughts out to you about why it's hard to talk about submission, all right? And when I talk about submission here, I'm not just talking about wives submitting to their husbands because the scriptures are clear that we need to submit to one another as well, that you need to submit to your leaders. Why is submission such a hard thing to talk about? Well, the first reason, it's a pretty solid one, is the fall of humanity, all right, which is in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, look, basically what they said is, God, we're not going to submit to you, we're going to do what the devil says. So basically, the start of all the problems in the world was a lack of submission. So why wouldn't we have trouble talking about submission at this point if the start of it all was that? I mean, pretty much anything that's hard in our world is hard because of this. Is anyone with me? It just is. The world wasn't meant to be hard the way that it is hard now. And it's hard because of a lack of submission right at the very beginning. Here's the second one, pride. See, pride wants it just to be about you. That quote there is from Lewis. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It's true, right? It's hard to talk about submission because pride makes us want to make it all about us. It wants to put ourselves in the centre of getting what we deserve. It's a pride's kind of saying, you just don't want to miss out. Peter, Jack, Rose, don't miss out. Don't miss out on getting what you deserve. You know, pride at the end of the day is like, we'd rather throw someone else under the bus for our own benefit than to miss out. That's what pride is, right? Well, that's one of the things that pride is. It's essentially competitive. So submission's just not going to make sense in that context if you're very, very proud. 
C.S. Lewis says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that looking, so we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. Pride makes it hard to submit. Another thing that makes it hard to talk about uh, submission is uh, abuse of power. I mean, I just say one guy's name, Harvey Weinstein, right? Isn't it? I mean, some of us are sitting here and we go, hey man, you know, Peter, I'd do like way better. Seriously, if people in authority were good, I'd do way better. And I'd just say, not so fast, champ. <laughs> All right? Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had to obey a perfect father and submit to a perfect father and they couldn't get it right. Don't think that you would. Here's the bottom line. We, we don't like authority often because it gets abused and in the process, people do as well. True? And it kind of validates this thing inside us. Well, I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to serve that person. I'm not going to kind of do what they ask me to do. You know, and some of that is, is kind of fair enough, isn't it? Because people are selfish. People do lead and rule for their own ends. People are self-worshippers. They're self-lovers. And, and there's a sense in which being sceptical of people exercising authority is sometimes probably a wise thing, maybe, even a little bit. You know, that question inside is, like, are they doing it for them or are they doing it for me? But I wonder at this point um, how often we think deeply about the corporate, the group. You know, this thing about scepticism for the abuse of, of power is, seems fair enough, doesn't it? But then when do we think about the group? You know, it's, it's a hard world to live in, isn't it? I mean, this very just notion makes it a very complex world to live in. Because we're not wanting to, and I don't think God wants to, and I don't think for the good of humanity we're wanting to throw off all restraint and not have people leading and having authority. But yet, the very problem with giving people authority is that they're sinful and they're selfish and they'll use it for their own ends. Is it you with me? Like that, that's really difficult to live in a world like that. I want to mention this, but when I was at, uh, leading the Redemption Group, I was leading over in... Um, Columbus in uh, September, October, one of the participants here sat there and he said, you know what? He goes, you know, all we really need is we just need an alien that's perfect who can actually come and show us how to live a perfect life in a fallen world. And everyone's going, yeah, that's, that's what we need. I'm just going, well, I'm pretty sure that's Jesus, folks. <laughs> Not that he's ET, but... You know, you had Harvey Weinstein... You know, so I read a newspaper article saying that he, um, from one lady, su suspecting he may have abused thousands of women. You know, and then you got the, um, the French women who pushed back against the Me Too movement, and you know all about the Me Too movement. It's, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. Add on top of the fact that it's hard to talk, to talk about submission because of individualism, isn't it? We think it's about us. We think the greatest thing in the world is autonomy. 
that I can do as I see fit. And sometimes I think uh, in our culture, we see value in individual freedom, which I do, but we don't see the value anywhere near as much in community and corporate benefit. If it doesn't work for me, I'm not in it. Not up for it, not going to be part of it. And sometimes I think democracy encourages this a little bit, right? Why do we have these big spending sprees whenever someone's running for PM or for, for uh, Premier? Why? Because if, we can, if people can see that me coming into power is going to benefit them, they'll vote for me. You know, and, and I'm not saying it's always the case because I think people do vote on things that are good corporately, but often what actually happens is it's like we're trying to find ways to benefit you personally so that you can vote us in and benefit me personally. We can easily vote from this point of view and we end up often with government spending just too much money. Here's another reason why it's hard to talk about submission, Australian culture. Yeah, Australians should look at that, if you're an Australian, you probably look at that and you just go, that's just wrong. Why is that guy standing on the top step? He should be on the same step as everyone else. Is anyone with me on this? Well, there's something in Australian culture that's kind of that egalitarian thing. They've got to be on the same step. It's not fair to have someone in authority. You know, we, I mentioned this, I think... Uh, last week or, or a little while ago that we're, we're just a bit rebellious by nature in Australia and we don't like people having authority over us at any level you know and often in Australian culture equality actually is linked to sameness it's linked to sameness so if if you've uh Look, I'm, just, I'm probably just going to get myself in trouble a few times, but I'll try not to. If you look at uh, the notion of egalitarianism, egalitarianism is basically that everyone should have a crack and have the same opportunities. That they're equal, that people should be equal by having the same opportunities. And I'm suggesting to you that you don't just, you're not just equal because you have the same opportunities. You can have different opportunities and still be equal. See, the person standing at the top of that step might be a boss in an organisation and they're equal to everyone else in that organisation, but they're not necessarily, have, have got the same opportunity. They, they don't have the same leadership role. Are you, you with me? But we as Australians kind of think that way. We think that subordination or kind of work, sitting in underneath someone else smacks of exploitation and oppression, and it often does but it doesn't always. Here's the second number five, which should be number six. We don't play the long game well. The, the long game, the submission requires you to see the long game in the short term. And instant gratification messes with us, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? It's like, I've just got to get my stuff and I've got to get it now. Each piece needs to be right. But let me ask you this. How many times in your life, if you've lived longer than five or six years, have you seen something still go in the right direction when there's a few details along the way that don't head in the right direction? Does, any, does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
like you have, right? I mean, that's the whole biblical story, right? Is that all the kings and queens and the, the heads of government and all the rest, they can do whatever they want and God's just going to accomplish his plans anyway. That's the whole thing. That's the deal. That's what's going on. And sometimes I think submission's hard to talk about because it's like, I think some people do some things wrong that I submit to. And I guarantee that that will be the case. Doesn't matter who you submit to, people will do things wrong. And the question is, are you prepared in that moment to view the long game and not just play a short game? You with me? Are you prepared to handle an anomaly or two for the sake of the long game? And here's the last one I'm going to throw out today. This is six, which is actually seven, but not wanting to confuse you too much. There is an age-old debate in the church about women and men and roles, Okay. And we could just spend a lot of time on this. Um, and I'm not going to spend that much time on it because I've already spent a whole bunch of time talking about what we're not talking about, okay? And we do want to get to what we, d- we are talking about. But the debate, the age-old debate in the church is between complementarianism, which is basically that there's uh, equality but a difference in roles that God's given to people, and egalitarianism, which is where everyone is, is equal through equal access to, to everything. And there are a lot of strong opinions on both sides of this. And if you're an avid reader of the Babylon Bee, which I am, you can go to that article. The the Bee explains complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Let me just give you a couple of paragraphs. This is under origins of the two ideas. Complementarianism. One day while drinking beer and watching college football, a Christian man in Nebraska demanded his wife bring him buffalo wings and another six-pack, and the ideology began to spread like wildfire. Complementarian beliefs almost immediately spread across the land from churches and seminaries to remote compounds in Texas. Egalitarianism, Peter the Apostle attempted to open the door for his wife while walking into their favourite seafood restaurant in Galilee. She punched him right in the face for this horrifying act of misogyny. She cut her hair short and launched the egalitarian movement right then and there. You go, girl. You can read more about that. In that article, it's, uh, it's quite an uh, amusing article. There's another one on the Babylon Bee, which I found amusing too, where this beautiful man who was a complementarian gave his wife a voucher. And on Valentine's Day, she was allowed to give one opinion. We, uh, we're up against it today. We, uh, we're probably hopelessly shaped by our culture and uh, if you wanted to put it in tennis terminology, because we've just had the Australian Open, this is the tennis shot out of court around the net post to see if we can get it in. It's a low percentage play, but it's worth going for because the Bible teaches about it and God thinks it's really important. Okay? And what we re- need to remember today is that submission isn't all play. There's a unique submission that God calls on wives to have uh, to their husbands, but submission is an all play. So what we're going to read in a moment here in uh, Ephesians 5 is uh, we're actually going to read what uh, theologians call a household code, okay? And basically the way this works is you've got in the household of the day, it wasn't just the person's family, it included slaves, it was the, the parents, the kids and the slaves, that was kind of the household, uh, and there were household codes. And this notion of a household code didn't start with Paul when he wrote Ephesians. Aristotle spoke about household codes. The whole nation or the empire of Rome was seen as Caesar's household. 
And what everyone believed is that the, org the order and the organisation of the household, whether it be an individual household or whether it be the household of the empire, was all dependent upon how it was administrated and how it was run. And, and Caesar and Aristotle, they, they all kind of knew that what you actually had to do is you had to get individual households running well and then the household of the state would actually run well. And what we actually have here when you read Ephesians 5 is you've got a household code because Paul talks about wives in, in relation to husbands and then husbands in relation to wives and then kids in relation to parents and then slaves. All right, And he's laying out, this is how the household actually needs to operate. So can you grab your, um, your Bibles? We're going to go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And we're actually going to start before the, uh, the break that you can probably see in your Bible. We're going to start at verse 21. There's a bit of debate about whether 21 belongs with 22 or with 20. All right, so I'm just going to stick it in there so that you uh, just get a little bit of con context. So Ephesians 5 verse 21, uh, starting here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, so I've, I've just kind of tacked that in there because submission's an all play, okay? But there is a unique kind of submission that God's calling wives to have to their husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, at this point, you should just pull up and just go, this is amazing. Like, your marriage, if you're married, the, the parallel that that's meant to have with is the, is the parallel between Jesus and the church. Like, that is marriage in the most sublime terms, isn't it? Like, it doesn't get any better than that doesn't you, you're not going to get any more dignity it's like well marriage is about love you just go well yeah all right but it's not just about that like marriage is about being like jesus in the church that's like way higher than love even though love's got to be part of that verse 24 now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands all right here's what we're going to look at today today we're going to look at what submission isn't what submission is, who to submit to, and submitting like and to Jesus. Let's go for the first one. What submission isn't? Trying to help you out here, wives, okay? Just trying to help you out. Verse 22 to 24 there, we just read that about, uh, about what submission is. I want, you, I want you to duck over just for a moment to uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 1 to 2. Because some of you might even say, some of you might go, yeah, I know the Greek word for submit there. All right, and it means obey. Some of the husbands are going, this is good, man. I didn't know church was going to be so good today. But I want you to get a sense of uh, this uh, submission. So 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Listen to this. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay? Now, I wanted to read that one in addition to Ephesians 5 because that gives you a sense of what it would be like for a woman to actually submit to a husband who didn't even love Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you can do it. And I trust that you notice there, like she's trying to win him over. 
So what that actually starts to do is it starts to dispel a few of the notions of what we might actually think submission is. Now, I think one of the big problems we're talking about submission, on top of all the other ones I mentioned, is that we often think about two individuals, and this one gets the same, the other one just has to cop it. But the scriptures are clear, are they not, that God made a man and a woman to become one. True? So we're not making, like, like the wife's fear is like, I've got a husband who's just going to railroad me over the top and do whatever he wants. And I would submit to you, that's not the man thinking as two becoming one, is it? And the, the, the male temptation in some cases might be that, well, I, I can get my own way now. Well, that's not two becoming one either, is it? It's like two individuals. You just, just an encouragement for you. Just be careful about the way that you think about it. All right, let me give you some things that submission is not. Submission is not a man dominating his wife. It's just not. It is not the kind of submission that we're actually talking about here out of Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter 3. Well, you just can't get that. I mean, just stop for a minute and think about the comparison that a wife should submit to her husband like the church submits to Christ. Yeah, that's what Christ does. He just dominates and gets his own way all the time, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. He does not. I mean, Philippians 2 is really clear that his leadership in the house, the household of God, is a servant leadership to his own detriment. Submission is not a man dominating his wife. Submission is not a wife not being allowed to think. I mean, we just read 1 Peter 3, right? She disagrees with her husband about Jesus. And it's okay, she can still submit in there. The wife's a believer, the husband's not. Submission is not needing to agree on everything. Submission is not that. You can disagree and still submit. Submission is not avoiding trying to persuade your husband. It's not like you've got to be quiet. You know, I heard a preacher talk about how he... He was counselling a couple at one point in time and the wife said she had to ask permission from her husband to go to the toilet. So that, that is not what we're talking about with submission, okay? Submission is not avoiding trying to persuade your husband. Wise, if you think your husband's wrong, you should try and persuade him that he's wrong. And you should go for that, all right? Submission is not giving permission to your husband to do as he pleases, I mean, think back to Christ at this point. The Christ's job as the head of his house is to serve and to help the church. Amen? And I mean, seriously, like to serve and help the church to his own detriment, isn't it? It's like to get crucified on a Roman cross. Oh, that's pretty up there. Some of the dudes here are just going, yeah, no, it's a regular thing for me. <laughs> My wife crucifies me all the time. I'll buy your wife, all right? You know, we read, didn't we, in, a, in Ephesians 5 there, that Christ is the head of the church and is its saviour. Isn't he? Romans 15, 2-3 says this, Let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
So the gig is, folks, the kind of submission we're talking about here is submission to someone, although the submission's not conditional upon this, right? It's submission to someone who, to their own detriment, will work to build up the wife. Headship is leadership and good leadership listens. True? Submission is not acting in fear, wives. Submission is not making your husband your ultimate master. I mean, Paul says it's really clear in Ephesians 5, doesn't he? He actually says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Wives, your husband is not your ultimate master. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, No human being should give any other human being unconditional obedience. As Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, a wife should not obey or aid a husband in doing things that God forbids, such as selling drugs or physically abusing her. If, for example, he beats her, the strong help that a wife should exercise is to love and forgive him in her heart and have him arrested. Amen. It is never kind or loving to anyone to make it easy for him or her to do wrong. Okay, we need a broader definition, and I trust that I'm helping you a little bit with this, a broader definition of what submission is than what we kind of narrowly think, and a broader definition of what love is. Okay, you ready? What is submission? Now, I want to say this, that your submission... I don't think that Ephesians 5 is saying that your submission to your husband is conditional upon how they operate. I think it's very complicated and I think it's difficult to operate and there's some very, very difficult marriages out there. And I'm not saying that there aren't a whole bunch of exceptions, okay? But I think in terms of speaking of the general, the centre of it, all right, more than happy to have conversations about fringe stuff. We just don't have time to go through all of those variations. But in terms of the centre of where the flow is, of, of where God wants you to go with this, this is what I'm going to be speaking about today. And I don't think that what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5 is conditional upon how the husband operates because every husband's going to be a bit of a loser sometimes. Who knows that, husbands? Okay. I want to help you to try and understand uh, what submission is. Uh, using a, uh, an Australian uh, metaphor here, and it's the federal parliament. This is the way I uh, envisage uh, submission and headship actually working in marriage. Um, when, you, when you go to Parliament House in Canberra, there's two houses of Parliament, okay? You've got the House of Representatives and you've got the Senate, okay? The government gets formed in the House of Representatives, okay? But there's no, no bill that goes through the House of Representatives is law. It's not legislation until the Senate passes it. Okay? And so I would kind of just... And there's some limitations to this, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I would actually submit to you today that the kind of arrangement that, uh, that Paul's talking about here is a little bit like this kind of arrangement where the husband, in a sense, is the House of Representatives. That's where the government's formed. Most bills that go through Parliament start in the House of Reps. Some do start in the Senate, but way more start in the House of Reps, okay? And the husband will be looking for partnership from the wife to get bills through the Parliament, with the Senate. And are you with me? Now, the difference is, and uh, we know this 
truly at the moment is um, there's lots of stalemates that happen in federal parliament. Okay, where a bill gets passed in the lower house, in the, in the House of Representatives, and then it doesn't get passed in the Senate. And I think what Paul is actually talking about here, when he's talking about submission, is when it all comes down to it and the two becoming one can't work out a way forward and there's a disagreement, the person who gets to actually make the final call would be the husband on that. And he takes responsibility for the final call. Now, that shouldn't happen very often, that someone needs to make a final call in an area of disagreement. Do you know why? Because the job of the husband is to serve his wife for her good, with his leadership, and the job of the wife is to support the leadership of the husband and for both of them to work together on it. You with me on that? So let me just give you an example, which you've heard from me before, um, but it kind of illustrates this point, and it's uh, an example from um, my marriage with Ange, and I've run these things past Ange before I've shared them. Uh, so that she's all cool with it, because um, I want to honour her. But before we actually got married, I've, I felt like I wanted to work in a church. And uh, then we got married, and she found out what I was really like, and she changed her mind. And she was right, okay? She changed her mind because she was just concerned that I just wouldn't be able to handle it, and I'd cause trouble. And I tell you, it would have been a wrecking ball, probably, in a church. Um, I've still got enough challenges as it is as being fallen in the way that I am now and that's and that's uh, that was about 10 years after uh, we got married so you know that became interesting right because after we got married I'm still going I think I'd really like to work in a church one day and she's going I don't think that would be a good thing for you to work in a church one day and we had an impasse okay now some of you might go well you can just make the call Pete you're like the leader you're the head of this joint Okay, and at one level, I think that's probably true. Okay, and when I was reading uh, Kathy and Tim Keller's story about how Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York started, it's a massive big church, it was something similar to that where he had this call to go and do something um, and uh, she just had some serious doubts about it. And, and they kind of had to grapple with that, right? But here's the thing, you don't just default to saying uh, Peter's ahead or the husband's ahead and you can just kind of make that happen. All right, especially with a with something like working in a church. All right, and I'll just tell you this: that there's not many people, if any, that understand the burden of what it means to actually be a pastor's wife, other than people who've done it before. It's 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 and maybe pastors' families know this. All right, it's a very very unique burden. So that that's a concern. All right. I'm not even saying that was a major concern for me back then. I think I was mostly just selfish and just disappointed that someone didn't think I was great at doing something. All right? But do you see what I'm saying? Like the, the, the process of making that decision is not just automatic kind of you've got the headship, you do it. No, it's actually a, a, a toing and a froing, and it's a two that have become one trying to work out how to go forward in it. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend that anyone goes and works in a church unless both the husband and the wife both have been called by God to do it. And that's why this church started, because that's what God did. And God called both of us into that. So what am I saying? I'm saying the submission 
is always voluntary. Always. Uh, husbands, uh, it's, it's, you can ask for submission in a particular area, whether you use that word or a different word, but it's always something that she gives voluntary, voluntarily. It's not something that you can actually demand. And you need to go into it thinking about two becoming one and how can we move forward in this thing together. I, uh, by my own selfishness, I'm sure that I have uh, foisted upon my wife the need to submit to me many times just because I've just wanted to go ahead and do something and uh, not even really have talked to her about it. But there was one time, here you go, and you've heard this one before, but I just want to throw it out, uh, many of you have heard it before, I want to throw it out to you, uh, submit it to you, is um, I was an elder at a church in uh, Toowoomba here and some wonderful person decided they would write a very critical letter about the elders and their wives and send it on the same day so that it would arrive in all of the elders' letterboxes on the day of the elders' meeting, okay? But I don't know, my posty was having a smoke and a drink somewhere or something. We didn't get it on that day, all right? So I get to the meeting that night and we're sitting there and um, they're all talking about this letter and I'm just going, I don't even know what you're talking about. And um, so then they said, oh, you don't know what we're talking about. Here's this letter that everyone got sent today. You didn't get yours? And I'm just going, yeah, well, it's probably coming tomorrow. So I had a read of this letter. I had a look at the envelope. I came home to Ange and I said, Ange, I just want you to do something for me. When you get this letter tomorrow, can you just not open that? And it was really just for her good. That's what it was. I just didn't want her to open it uh, for her own good. And in a sense, what was I doing? I was going, I'm asking you to submit to me, but I'm not asking you to submit to me so I can do my own thing. I'm asking you to submit to me so it's good for you and it's good for the family. And it's a voluntary thing. You see, submission, I think, this biblical notion of submission is kind of the divine, I think this is the way John Piper puts it, the divine calling of a wife to honour and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. And it's not about competence. Like some of you might go, yeah, but someone, your wife might be really competent. And I would just say to you, yeah, we've got a bookkeeper that's way more confident at bookkeeping than me. <laughs> her name's Jenna Goodsey. Okay, and I'm never going to be as good at numbers as what she is at numbers, and we're really blessed because of that. Okay, just because someone's more competent in a particular area doesn't mean that you can't exercise leadership over that and help to kind of bring that together. You know, like in our world, leadership is connected to competency, but in the Bible, it's not. You know, and what what we're talking about here with with wives is a happy intelligent and wise support for the husband's leadership. So the husband's taking initiative, he's leading the family and she's responding and just part of that and in there and two become one kind of in the mix there, really involved in family life. And when it all comes down to it and when every conversation's happened and there's a stalemate and there's a draw, the husband gets to make the call. But that's not going to happen that often. True? It ought not happen that often. If everything else has happened well and two, become well is func- two becoming one is functioning well, that won't happen very often. And some of you even here, you're just kind of going, oh, I can feel some tyranny coming. I can feel the superiority, the inferiority. Paul's not undoing what he said so 
many times, right? He's made it really clear that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but you're all one in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about the man being superior and more important than the wife. Is everyone with me? He's not doing that. He's just creating and teaching under the inspiration of God some household structure. If you say that someone being subject to someone else is inferior, you have to say Jesus is inferior to the Father because he submitted to the Father. You with me? Is that, are you all doing okay? I'm trying to thread a needle here. I hope I haven't stuck it into your thumb. All right, that's submission. Who to submit to? Well, if you go back to verse 23 in Ephesians 5, it might be, let's just revisit there just for a minute. Ephesians 5 verse 23 for the husband is ahead of the wife even as Christ is ahead of the church his body and is himself its saviour I think a helpful way to to speak of it is uh, you're submitting wives to your husband to the head to a leader to a servant-hearted self-sacrificing leader now most wives I reckon would be pretty willing to submit to a servant-hearted self-sacrificing leader in the family and here's the thing, we need to look to Christ to see how husbands are to lead and to be the head. Now, what we need to do, men, and I'm going to just speak to the men and specifically to the young men for a while here, just for a few moments. You see, the church looks to the head, which is Christ, for his beneficial rule, his leadership, experiencing his presence of love and receiving gifts from him to make the church grow and responding to him in gratitude and thankfulness. That's, that's kind of how the church operates with Jesus. And I want to ask the, uh, the men today, husbands, some of you thought, man, I'm going to get off scot-free today. No, you're not, all right? Because I want to ask you how you're going with your headship and your leadership in the house. Now, listen, some of you are probably sitting here and you're just going... Well, I'm not married. And I was going, okay, well, you seem to get started, all right? Because you need to be a decent man for a woman to marry, all right? So just don't be pathetic, okay? And start getting your leadership up and running. So let me kick in. Here's the first one. Do you take responsibility? I mean, I often joke about the fact that the responsible person is a person who's responsible for everything that goes wrong, all right? It's kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious too, right? Yet, if you're the husband, you're responsible for everything that's going wrong. All right? doesn't mean it's your fault, but it means you need to do something about it. You better be engaged in what's going on, and you better actually take the leadership in your family for the good of your family and for the good of your wife. You're the backstop. If everything goes wrong, you're the backstop. Every problem that happens in your family at some level is your problem. Do you hear me? Every single problem at some level is your problem. Here's number two. Man, do you take the initiative in something other than having sex? I don't know whether I'm allowed to say that, but I just did. <laughs> you, go to, you go to Genesis chapter 3, right? It says the fruit was pleasing to the woman, so she took some and ate it, and then she gave some to who? To Adam, and he ate it. So what was Adam doing when Eve was taking the world to hell? Nothing. 
Nothing. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's mostly going to be the problem with husbands and fathers in families, is that they're doing nothing. Just do something. Take some initiative somewhere. Are you seen as the one taking the initiative in the family going forward? Are you? Is that what it looks like? Or is it, is it your wife that's the one who's making sure this whole show is going forward? John Piper's got a helpful little uh, line where he says, uh, in your family, who says let's more often? Who says let's more often? And I want to say to you this morning, gentlemen, that uh, you need to be saying let's more often. Let's do this, or let's talk about this, or let's work out this situation, or let's go to church. Gentlemen, do you take the initiative financially in your family? Making sure your family's got enough money. Do you even know what your family budget is? Do you even have a family budget? Do you? There's going to be a lot of some women smiling at me right now. Okay? So take an interest and take some initiative and do some planning for your family if you don't do that. Some of you do. There's a lot of you that already do this stuff. You just want to keep going with that. Keep providing leadership for your family. What about relationally in your family? Husbands, are you the first one to say sorry most of the time? Are you? Like over 50%. Some of you are going, I'm 50.05. That's over, right? And we can call that most. <laughs> you need to be, right? Even when the situation's not your fault, you could just kind of go up and you could just say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just really sorry that we're in the place that we're in right now. <laughs> that would be a good way to lead, wouldn't it? Husbands, do you bring things up that need to be talked about with your wife and with your family? What about in parenting? family devotions doing devotions and teaching your kids about jesus dads you better be hauling on this one all right this is your job okay it's not your wife's job to disciple your children primarily it's your job all right you're the dad you're meant to be the pastor so get in there and read in the bible and pray with them and mum's doing an awesome job but most of the time what you see in our culture is that women are taking up the slack that's left by blokes who actually don't take the initiative and aren't responsible for stuff so let's let's get in there if you're not in there if you do read your bible with your kids and you pray with them and you have spiritual conversations with them more power to you let's do that more gentlemen who's with me and we're not saying don't hear me some of you going oh what is he saying mum's aren't allowed to do it no he's not saying that all right I just think dad's got to be carrying the load on this stuff so that wives can just kind of chime in and out whenever they want. It's like he's got that squared away, the foundational level's kind of squared away and I can just kind of be part of what's going on here instead of having to carry the can. Any wives get sick of carrying the can with stuff? You don't, you're probably not going to say because you're sitting next to your husband, but <laughs> some of them do, gentlemen. They get sick of carrying the can, all right? So start carrying it. What about Discipline. What about discipline? You taking the lead in that? Taking the lead in having spiritual conversations with your kids? Taking the lead and taking the initiative and pulling together the vision of the family and the direction of where the family's going and where God's kind of calling the family? You're doing that? 
Have you got a plan? You got a plan for the family going forward? A good leader is not always the most competent. They're often very consultative. I think a good leader is always very consultative. But a good leader takes the initiative to bring things together and to take things forward. All right, a quick word to single women. This is a really good book. Not that I know. I just love the content. I love the guy who wrote it and I read a little bit of it. I haven't read all of it. She's got the wrong guy. Have you ever seen that? Just go, what did you marry him for? All right. Yeah, here's the thing. Well, <laughs> you don't have to put your hand up. This would be awkward, right? But it would be an interesting, if we had a secret ballot of how many women in this church who are married, who got married to their husband, actually thought he would improve after they got married. Or they thought they would improve. <laughs> they thought that they would improve because you were going to change them. It's like some, some wives are very, very confident about their abilities to change their husband. <laughs> and I want to suggest to you that only in rare occasions do men ever get more spiritual after they get married. Mostly they don't. Who here knows that when you're going out with someone, you're on your best behaviour, right? aren't you? Kind of. You don't normally see an improvement in someone after you get married. What you usually see is what was there all along, which you didn't actually see as much. And I wonder we could have another secret ballot and ask who's given up trying to change their husband. Here's the bottom line. Single women is that changing a man is above your pay grade. It's above anyone's pay grade. Because that's, that's a job for God to do. And it's more important for you to marry the right man than it is for you to get married. It's more important for you to marry the right man than it is for you to get married. You need to be looking for someone who takes the initiative and looks after you and your future family. Someone who's just got that vibe going of responsibility and initiative taking is serious about God. Don't marry a loser, all right? Because a lot of people have married losers. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you just go, what did you marry that loser for? All right, I'm going to finish up. Just going to finish with uh, the wives again. If you go back to uh, Ephesians 5, you should still have that open in front of you there. Verse uh, 22 there says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You know, you need to submit, wives, by looking through your husband to Jesus himself. Okay? Your husband is not your ultimate master. That's why Paul says in verse 22 here, he says, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's like, look through the submission that you offer to your husband and the support of your husband's leadership. Look through that to Jesus because you're ultimately doing it to Jesus you're doing it for Jesus it's not ultimately about your husband it's about Jesus himself and this is something that you can offer to Jesus and what I want to do just as we finish here today is I want you just to climb inside the head of Jesus a little bit if you can can you come back across to Luke 
22 with me. And I guess at some level what I'm doing here is I'm speaking to the wives who just go, my husband has made some calls or some very difficult calls and I just can't see the wisdom in it and it's hard and I just maybe I just find it really hard to submit to some of the things are really, really hard. And I want you to hear here, not me saying, oh, your, hu- your husband's wonderful, right? And he probably is a bunch of times. He's probably really lousy a whole bunch of other times. He's not perfect, but I want you to see the person who's calling you ultimately, not just to submit to your husband, but to submit to your husband ultimately as unto him, as unto Christ himself. So Luke 22. Starting at verse uh, 39. And he came and went. Sorry, he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Listen to this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Husbands, you're meant to be someone who leads as a submitted person to Christ. And wives, you're calling to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, is to submit to your husbands and ultimately to Christ. And who is Christ? Who is Jesus? Jesus is someone who submitted. He's not a drill sergeant. He forces you to submit to him. He, he sets the standard for you. He walks in front of you in the middle of what would have been the most gritty, difficult piece of submission that the world has ever seen. Amen? It doesn't get any worse than that. What's he got coming? He's got the cross coming. He knows what's coming. But he offers. He's not coerced. His arm is not twisted by the Father at that point. He offers to serve his Father. And he offers to be part of the plan that the Father has. See, we're we're all operating as submitted people to a, a Christ who's submitted to his Father. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that just kind of dispel the, the fear of someone domineering? You're not ruled. The head of the church is not someone who is domineering, who just railroads you, throws you under a bus so he can get whatever he wants. He is someone himself who is submitted. He's submitted to the leadership of his father.